Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings community Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kikita Kaori. Welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, what are we doing this week? Well, we had a fiction. We had a fiction happen. Yeah. Uh, Daidoji mm-hmm. by Nancy Sauer, and we are also going to look at, because it turns out to be thematically appropriate, game mastering Shinobi and having Shinobi in your games of Legend of the Five Rings. Yep. So there, there hasn't been a whole lot of news. I really expected some more clan letters, but not yet. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we might get, uh, you know, a letter out of this fiction. <laughs> <laughs> with some results. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I think I think there needs to be a crane letter. Like, um, <laughs> well, things have happened. Uh, you should probably be aware of the following. And, uh, and, and the, the following the, being the, the following being the story. Yeah. Daidoji. Yeah. Uh, just Daidoji. That's the name. Uh, by Nancy Sar. She Nancy has been has written a number of fictions uh, for mostly crane, uh, both in new lore. And in AEG time, oh. and she's one of my favorites. So, uh, <laughs> in the story, Daidoji Uji, uh, after failing again and again to retake Kyuden Kikita, because he has too few men, too few supplies, it's a fortified keep with elite lion samurai and commanders, well staffed, mm-hmm. he finds himself facing a stare down against winter. He knows that if the that the lion will become entrenched if the keep is abandoned in the winter by the crane, and then the lion will use the keep to strike out from there against the rest of crane lands. And if he leaves his men there, they will starve or die of exposure on the fight field if they try to hold the keep during the winter. So he decides that he has no choice and takes extreme measures to see that Kuden Kikita falls so that it can no mm. longer be held by the lion and used against the crane. Extreme is most definitely the word. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say an explosive fiction for the crane. <laughs> uh, you're awful. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's, that's, it's a big one. It, it does change the situation quite a tiny bit. So, mm-hmm. mm. so what do we got for lore nuggets? We have a few. I really liked right at the beginning. He's looking over a map, and it's the it, on the surface it looks like a standard map, and it's got some lovely little decorations because everything's very artistic. But actually, a lot of those are secret notes on that map. For here is a secret way into the castle. Here is a way of getting through the castle without being seen. And here are things outside the castle which will tell you where you can hide or where you can you know, get troops into and, and things like that. I thought that was really neat, that there was a, a nice thing to add. So there's essentially cadence, but for written documents and for maps and things. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, there was uh, a lot of mention. He, he Uji has a portable shrine and kneels at the uh, statue of his ancestor, Doji Hayaku. And we've spoken about Hayaku before. 
in terms of the crane lore. He's the youngest son of Doji and Kikita, and he went into the Shadowlands to retrieve the soul of their sister, Doji Kunishiko, the Crane Clan Thunder. And when he returned, his throat had been slit, so he had been muted and his hair was white, but he came back with her blade, her, which was her soul and the soul of her brother, Yasurugi, who forged the blade. So, you know, we know we've revisited that before, but, uh, yeah, not yeah. everyone's listened to all of our podcasts, so. I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, yes, which is, it's actually also the reason why a lot of the crane dye their hair white. It's in, it, is, it is in reverence to uh, Doji Hayaku. Yes. The shrine's made of oak and ivory, which is an interesting thing, because ivory would have to be a trade good from the ivory kingdoms or possibly elsewhere. So that would make it valuable and rare. Mm -hmm. And what he takes out of the shrine is, is Gaijin, Gaijin pepper, tightly bound paper scrolls containing a fine powder, or for our intents and purposes, sticks of dynamite. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say that given what they do with the amount that they've got, I'm very impressed by their uh, Gaijin pepper. <laughs> very, very impressed. Uh, so Gaijin pepper, or gunpowder, is not discussed in the core rulebook or in the other things. The only time it's it's mentioned in the fifth edition of the RPG is in the Slow Tide Harbor GM screen adventure, where it is described as one of the most illegal Gaijin substances, banned throughout the Empire, but is used in some clans and is smuggled by... Tortoise. Yep. Uh, in old lore, it was definitely illegal stuff. <laughs> Super mega illegal. Now, gunpowder itself, actual gunpowder, was historically invented in China around about the ninth century uh, by someone attempting to uh, make themselves immortal. They were trying to put together an immortality serum, and that went the wrong direction. We found the exact opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I am immortal, but also exploded. So that went well. <laughs> Um, it did. It did go to Japan shortly after, and there was a thriving kind of fireworks industry in Japan. But mm -hmm. guns themselves showed up in the late 1500s from Europe, and so guns and gunpowder and things like that were used in Japan during the late Sengoku Warring States period, uh, and and were were really really prevalent coming right up to the, the 1600, which is generally considered the end of the, the Sengoku Jidai. And so actually, actually, there was lots of gunpowder and lots of guns in, in samurai warfare, but we don't tend to have that so much in our fantasy fiction, which is what we like to do here. So in Rokugan, it's a separate substance and it's very naughty and no one should use it because it's bad. <laughs> yes, in old lore, it was used by the Gaijin in the Battle of White Stag, and it killed the Empress. Uh, uh, yep. Cannonball or gunpowder killed the Empress. So then the new Emperor banned its use and development after that, and that's why it's so illegal. Now, yeah. in new lore, we still have to figure out where it stands, and even if you don't actually have guns, there's a large range of possible uses for it. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, in old lore, 
way back, way back when, even from the introduction of the Daijoji family, way back in first edition, there are people who use gunpowder, gaijin pepper, uh, specifically the, the Daidoji Harriers, who are the super secret shinobi from the Crane clan. And so they know about how to make it, how to use it. So it's, it is actually always been part of Rockingham, but we still aren't quite sure how it fits into fifth edition right now. Right. It's always been There's... associated with the Daidoji, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... Um, there's never been anything like guns as such in Rockingham thus far. Um, there, like historically, there were bamboo tubes that shot like spears. Um, so you'd, you'd fire a spear out the end of your bamboo tube. There were ones that just shot fire, and things like that. There, and that's as, as early as like a like a thousand AD or so. And there are. Yeah, you can you can find old 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 pictures of, of samurai with these things if you want if you go looking for them. Right, and and just all kinds of things. So even if I I could see a good argument for not wanting guns in your rokugan, it kind of takes it over. Mm. But you know the the ways that you can use gaijin pepper in, in your stories yeah. could be quite uh, creative and doesn't have to be guns. There's all kinds of strange things mm. you can make out of it. Um, there was a rumor in the Shadowlands book that the Emperor was hiding a gaijin weapon that would be good against the Shadowlands. Yeah, or or at least, hmm, they're hiding a weapon, we we probably, surely we could make use of it against the Shadowlands, but no one's quite sure what it is. Obviously, it (laughs) could be gaijin pepper, it might be something (laughs) else, we don't know. There is a ban on on gaijin pepper in Rokugan, so we know that. Uh, you also have the fact that with the power of the Shugenja, that could make gun technology quite difficult because, like, they could they could make it rain and that would that would wet the powder. They could set the the fire kami off prematurely, and so your your kind of unit of musketeers suddenly explode when you weren't planning to. Uh, you could have wind. You could just maybe maybe guns weren't wouldn't be that useful in rock again maybe maybe not it's hard to tell that's even assuming that rock Gun's metallurgy might up to it might would be up to it because it's a very different metallurgy to making swords and armor having said that making making explosives that that blow things up is much easier because it's literally just you just put it in a in a container that will contain the the expansion of gases long enough for it to go bang as being whoosh and you don't necessarily have witnesses. Like, people will notice a bunch of people with guns firing the guns. People will notice that from a, a distance. And they go, <laughs> wait a minute, that was a thing. I should tell people. <laughs> but if the if the place just explodes mysteriously, it's harder to pin that down. So that is a use that, that, that kind of works with rock gun. Indeed. So Uchi's plan is to use gunpowder to destroy Kudin Kikita. And that's a work of hundreds of years, many generations. Yep. Um, he wants to kill both Lion Commanders, and hope. And though he doesn't want it, it would end up killing mm. all the hostages Matsusuko took, including yep. Kikita Barahimi, who is Kikita Yoshi's wife. Uh, we don't have a whole lot about Yoshi's personal life, 
but yep. there are stories, and certainly Shizue thinks that he loves her dearly, and she'd be in a position mm. to know. So yeah, this, yeah, yeah. him being upset about, or him, Uji being concerned about Uji, Yoshi being upset, you know, seems very likely, even if Yoshi comes off as pretty uh, cold and calculating. Yeah, yeah, I think... I've, I've, I think I think a lot of that is just down to the times he has been on camera, like in fiction, haven't been times where he's had the luxury of thinking about how much he cares about his wife. So mm -hmm. he doesn't come across that way. But the evidence we have is that, yeah, that, that may well be kind of that's his human side that we don't see so much. So mm, now, Uji does think about the judgment of his karma for all of this, because he has blown up something that is a great work of art. It is also a defensive sta uh, it's a defensive point for the Kikita and has been for a long time. And he also murdered a whole bunch of people, many of them cranes. So he's had to have to think about this. He's thinking of karma as the sum of his actions and his failures to act, both in you know, both his in his words and his deeds, which is pretty much what the term really means um although he doesn't think about exactly who does the this judging that is going to happen who is going to judge his karma but uh, we might find out more about that in celestial realms right karma often gets That's misused as a term and mm. uh basically where it's like automatically said you know it's a sort of automatic coming back of you of your yeah. deeds but that's it's that's not really the correct way should it should be used as a term karma and here in the story he's using it as correct your karma is something that is judged and then there are consequences but we don't know he's not thinking about that it no. had a cool booby trap i like booby traps yeah so it, there's a bolted door that if you unbolt with lots of bolts on it and if you unbolt it in the wrong order it brings the ceiling down on you um, yeah, and there's I all like kinds that. of booby traps, I guess, in the in the basement of Cute and Kikita that people have to get around. It's it's a really neat idea, and a whole, and and one that could be applied in a lot of places. You know, you got the the Kai wall has lots of tunnels in it and lots of traps. The anything that Idoji have have ever been through will probably have similar things where you have to not just know this door is here and is locked. You have to know the precise order in which to unlock it because something bad could happen. I really like that. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, the Tsangusuri wards, which are little talismans created by the Asahina, which are very specific limited spell effects. I don't, it's not really established quite what they do specifically in this particular instance, but it seems a good guess that it's something to do with the... Gaijin pepper that they're using, so maybe timers or stabilizers, or maybe they they're the reason why these very small packages go so extremely bang and are able to take down an entire castle. So yep, um, that could be that's it. That's an interesting. So they're, they're, it's actually it's it, yeah, it, it's using. Uh, I like the way that they're using a lot of resources, and you're beginning to see where those resources come from. I think that's gives that can give a lot of interesting ideas for for where your characters might get stuff. And what might they what they may have to face? Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a Harrier sign language. We do have sign language in a couple of mm -hmm. different places. We have sign language that uh, Keto Kosri is using uh, yeah. before. That uh, was a, that sign language is actually shared with the unicorn because uh, could communicate with a uh, Ayuchi Shigenja who was using sign language yeah. with his horse, if I recall that correctly. Yes. So there is a kind of more universal sign language that goes across clans. Uh, the mm. Harrier sign language might be, in, you know, derived independently. But one would imagine yeah. that by the time Hayaku, you know, had founded his family and stuff, he was communicating with sign language himself. So mm. the Harrier sign language may actually go back to the beginning of the yeah. empire. I mean, it could be just a Harrier thing. Like these are these are hand signals for Harriers to communicate Harrier stuff with them. And so you could maybe you might not be able to use this particular thing to communicate how lovely the moon is looking this evening. Uh, it may mm -hmm. be rather more, you go here, you go here, don't do this until I do the thing. But then again, <laughs> it may be part of a more universal sign language. So, and, and We at least know there is a universal there sign language. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of different possibilities that you can, you can play with from here. So a philosophy of the crane is expressed in this, this story. Uh, Uji thinks the line, uh, unlike the lion, the crane were not so... Precious is their history. An ending was worthy of mm. celebration for that, for what was to come would only surpass its predecessors in beauty and elegance. Um, mm. So one of the differences between the lion and the crane, both are extremely focused on honor. Uh, it's not just this, this pacifism. Uh, they both have reverence for their ancestors, you know, as we see in this story and so on. But, there yeah. is a uh, greater veneration for history in the lion and a greater acceptance or embrace of change in the crane. Uh, crane have this theme, you know, you always see crane show up surrounded by cherry blossoms. Uh, <laughs> and it's not mm. just because it's pretty. Uh, cherry blossoms yeah. are a, a symbol in Japan of time passing away. Mm, uh, impermanence. Impermanence. And it's a very powerful symbol throughout um, Japanese philosophy, Mononoroware. Yeah. And the clan in Rokugan that really kind of goes all in on that from the snowflake story with Doji at the very beginning is the, that every moment, every... Uh, person you deal with every every thing you see is impermanent and it's passing away and if you were sad about that all the time you wouldn't do anything you can't hold on to anything unlike the lion who really want to hold yeah. on to tradition um, yeah. and why why do we accept all of this passing away why do we embrace it all because it's a source of of innovation and, and renewal change not not rebirth like a phoenix where you come back the same, just as strong. Um, but this, this, you know, it's beautiful because it passed and it's, you know, beautiful for what is to come, which will be even more beautiful. So I thought it was cool to have somebody like Uji yeah. expressing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, and I, I'm just getting, getting into the kind of the deep philosophical 
ideas of individual makers and shakers is really cool because then you, you get an idea of why they do what they do and what they're likely to do in the future and how that's going to interact with some other person who has a different philosophy. Mm-hmm. I always like that stuff. So this is this is a very big and and heartbreaking event, which uh, Daidoji Uji had to think a lot about and wept after he has done it. So the big question is, was it really necessary or is this a step too far? And what happens next? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it could be argued from Suko's point of view that the alternate, you know, she would really give up and go away if only Hataru had, you know, presented herself for the slaughter on the, on the field of battle and just done that. Well, that, that, was a, that was the demand made, wasn't it? Yeah, that either that Yoshi present himself or Hataru present herself on the on the field of battle before her, um, yeah. which would mean attacking into a fortified keep directly with a face to face battle against the lion. Basically, yeah, do what <laughs> basically doing what Akoto Arasu tried to do on Toshi Rambo. Yeah, yeah, and we all know how well that went. Right, not very but smart. But obviously, you know, no, no. Um, but given they weren't going to do that, and given Uji did, just didn't have the time and didn't have the people, mm-hmm. I can certainly see his point of view, but obviously this is going to be very controversial. It's going to be very controversial within, you know, the other members of the clan. It's going to be interesting to see how this gets spun by mm-hmm. the crane and so on. Uh, they could spin this as being, well, the most smart way for the crane to spin this would mm. be if they made it so that the lion knew that they were going to lose from attack from the yeah. crane. Because who was going to be left of the lion there to argue with them? Um, and so they blew up the castle and themselves rather than lose to the crane. Yeah. That yeah. is um, a very persuasive argument, especially if someone like Matsusuko lives. She blew up her own men. Yeah, that is, I mean, Daidoji Uji does seem to think that he must have got her. He but hopes so. There is a tower that, there, there's a portion of the main keep that did not get exploded. So who knows? Um, there are various people who we think might have plot armor, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's going to be a certain amount of because if she's alive and saying, "No, I didn't blow up the castle," what are you talking about? Then you know that that, that that's going to be a that's going to be a big fight in in the courts or whoever or wherever. It's like, mm-hmm. mm. and then internal to go. the crane is if yep. Hataru had not taken her troops to Toshi Rambo to winter, where Akachiko is. Yeah. Of course, she didn't know that. Would mm. the addition of her troops be enough to take Kyuden Kikita? Now, I don't think so, because yep. I think Uji would have had that thought before he did this. Um, I if think it so. It really and was. Yeah, yeah. And, and also with Kuanon, because when, when Kuanon said, I'm going to go do this big attack on the castle, uh, Daidoji Uji was very much no. I think you should do this. This is this would be the tactical, smart thing to do. 
whereas Kuanan was all no i want I want the fortunes to declare whether or not I'm right, so i need to I need to go do this thing mm-hmm. i think if if that was like a determinant because maybe maybe if he'd done what Daito Yuji had wanted, it would have worked out differently, but again, I think he'd be thinking that oh, if only there's only the the you know the the two doji kind of kids had done the right thing. I think that would have come through in his thoughts. So He seemed to think it was pretty doomed in any event. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tough choice, tough choice. Good fiction. Well, good fiction. So obviously what's going on here in this fiction is that we are game master, or we have Shinobi, Crane Shinobi, but Shinobi mm-hmm. nonetheless. They are Harriers. Yep, Shinobi, uh, Shinobi. So what if you have one of these Shinobi people in your role-playing game troops. They're a little bit problematic, Mm. aren't they? They can be. I mean, it's not so much that they are. It's that they can be. I mean, there are are two potential issues that I come across a lot, which is that a Shinobi character can hog the spotlight a lot um, and, in fact, really derail and, and dominate the game because... Everyone else says, right, that's us done for the day. Let's go to sleep and see what happens in the morning. And then the Shinobi character says, well, now I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff now that everyone's asleep. And then everyone just, everyone else just sort of sits around twiddling the thumbs while the Shinobi character is rolling dice. That can be a problem. You can also have an issue that sometimes people just want to play fine, upstanding, honorable samurai and having one member of the group going, no, I'm going to poison people and just sneak up on them when they're asleep and stab them. That might not sit too well. But I think these are both things that is kind of like, check with your table, make sure everyone's in the same, on the same page, do a good session zero. So that's always step one. Right. Talk it out like grown-ups. So there are a couple of solutions for these problems. Uh, the first yep. uh, solution is you can have everybody in your party be a shinobi or a shinobi yep. adjacent. So everybody's cool with it, whether you're doing the all scorpion mm. game or you're doing a ronin game with a lot of shinobi or even a yep. mixed group, but just not people who are into honor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or if, if they are, they are okay with what the other people are doing. So it's it's no one's no one's upset. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's got the same mission. It's all cool. Mm-hmm. So that works pretty yeah. good. I mean that it, that could work, but it can also be a bit limiting. But it, it is a workable way. Yeah, it's kind of against style for a Rokugan game. You, you think honorable samurai mm. for the most part. Yeah, but yeah, you know, if you're already playing Path of Waves, or if you're you know, you want to investigate that other side of rock again, which is there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a perfectly fun, fun way of playing the game. There are some interesting ideas from Courts of Stone, which turned out to be very much the Shinobi book. So if you're into Shinobi shenanigans, then you should pick up Courts of Stone. There is a suggestion, I'm not quite sure how much I make of this one, for the GM to leave the room while the Shinobi players, or the Shinobi player, if there's only one, uh, they so they get a fixed amount of time to make their cunning plan. The suggestion seems to be about like ten minutes, and then you return and you only get the GM only gets an outline of the plan. Um, that kind of presumes a kind of 
GM versus player mindset that I'm not sure really works very well in Legend of the Five Rings. But I guess that can make the players feel a bit more comfortable in coming up with their solutions because they know that you're not immediately trying to come up with counter solutions. And that maybe well, that can that. help. I can kind of like feel less inhibited. There's that. And then what they suggest is that you kind of, uh, it forces them to summarize their plan instead of spelling out every detail of the plan. Oh, so yeah, they make a plan. They have only have a limited amount of game time to do it in. And then mm. when you come in, you demand the outline of the plan so that it's yeah. not uh, bogged down with every single detail, which sucks up game time. It, it, and then if yeah. there's flashbacks or something, if there's more preparation steps needed than what goes here, instead of role-playing out all of those preparation steps, you can do flashbacks or use opportunities or yeah. um, have... You know, other things that says, oh, you actually mm. killed the guards on the way in while you weren't looking. <laughs> yeah. You 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 realize you're going to have to pick a lock on the door that you actually didn't know about until I told you about it. But you realize you're going to have to pick locks, so you brought some lock picks along. Well done, you. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, yeah, because honestly, although I have been I have been in sessions where we spent the whole session planning and nothing actually happened. And sometimes that can be fun, but sometimes that can be completely tedious. So that that this is a, yeah, this sounds like a good way of keeping that contained. It still has you know, it still takes the ten minutes. It still has a scene outside of it that could take an unknown amount of time, especially if it goes wrong though. Mm. So uh, I do have I've been working this through and I do have a couple of alternatives that uh, yeah. players might want to use uh, for for having Shinobi in their party. And mm. then that allows the Shinobi to do their thing, but keeps the focus more on what the rest of the party is doing. Mm. And that is changing the Shinobi's primary action to think of it more as a downtime resource generation activity. Okay. So instead of having a full separate scene or something like that, you have downtime scenes. We all have have them in our games. There's downtimes. Everybody gets a downtime role. Yeah. During a downtime action, a shinobi player may choose to take one dice roll action yeah. using skullduggery or another ninjutsu technique that describes how that shinobi is going to be getting a resource to assist their group in the future. Uh, for right, example, right. Um, the GM can would probably, if you're just training your group in this, you would start off by um, offering a couple of uh, goodies that they could get, mm-hmm. uh, a story resource that that shinobi-skilled PC can help to use the party in a future conflict. For example... right. Uh, blackmail material that might lead to a minor NPC being favorable to your cause that would give you momentum in every mm. entry with that PC involved. Just for an example, something yeah, just yeah. a little bit extra. Or, uh, you know, you want to poison the sword of the duelist that would cause the the duelist to have a little negative penalty on his next fight with that sword. Right, right. Or a minor clue for your 
you know, investigation, something like that. Yeah. And, but you have to distill so, it down to one role. And, and the GM mm -hmm. sets the TN for the role. It could be high, depending on how fancy they want to get. But the effects should be small and relevant to what's coming up, not, well, not an yeah. end in itself. Well, and I mean, then, yeah, so, it, it, so, so but when you say the results should be small, it should be about the same as anyone else's downtime. It shouldn't be right. able to do some amazing thing that they, no one else could do. But it also shouldn't be so trivial that you wouldn't feel it's worthwhile. But yeah, so it, seems, so it should fit um, right. in much the same kind of effect as other downtime. Cool. That sounds yeah. really interesting. Now, now, optionally, especially if you want to make it slightly stronger than what other people do in their downtime activity, um, you mm. can add a risk because you are doing sneaky things that Rokugan doesn't approve yeah. of. So yeah, yeah. this is an optional rule. It's not in the game system, but this is my suggestion. Um, you, you set the TM based on what they're going to get, so on. That's, that's all the same. On a success, yeah. they gain the benefit. Your group gains the benefit. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Great. On failure... Or with strife, it doesn't, yeah. you know, on failure, it doesn't mean that the Shinobi PC is immediately revealed and everything goes south. Because mm. that's, uh, that's a little bit too strong for a little bit too big a risk. Um, they, yeah. they don't get the resource at the very least. That, that's true. So they don't get the benefit. They don't poison the blade or whatever it is that they were planning to do. But you can make it a little bit more risky. You can say you can then have them make one more roll that is explaining or recovering from their failed attempt. So you know, they okay. messed up. Uh, they, their poison roll failed, for example. Mm -hmm. So now they have to do a stealth roll to sneak away. Okay? Yeah. Explaining, you know, let them to explain what to you or you worked out together what it is that went a little bit wrong that caused this not to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um. So they make another roll. Maybe it's stealth or some other thing to try and get away. Maybe it's even, uh, you know, fast talking out of it, and, and it's a social yeah. roll. It could be. It could be a number of things. Um, if they succeed at that secondary backup, you know, catch myself roll, yeah. then they take three additional strife because, whew, that was a close call. Yeah. But nothing bad happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I like taking strife under this circumstance. It seems very appropriate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it gives it gives you the, yeah, the tension yeah. that you need uh, for this feeling sneaky. Um, if that strife becomes compromised, causes you to become compromised, or if you fail the role, then uh -huh. you would have something called a complication, which means, in this case, I mean it as something they have done... They have done something or left something or someone has seen something mm -hmm. that hints at this. Nothing will happen right, right. right away, again, because it could really derail things if he's suddenly caught during the down mm -hmm. activity. But someone will come back at some point in the future with you know, know. knowledge of what you've done. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it's not an immediate thing, but something will bite them in, in the behind later on. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, right. I think that could be, that could be a lot of fun. I like that. Yeah. 
So it gets it down to two rolls. It's not a whole long string of sequences. It's up to you, the player, to explain what they did and, you know, if they failed, how to get out of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little... Yeah, nice little, little subsystem. Subsystem for Shinobi-style shenanigans. Yeah. So you also have things for, like, bigger actions, don't you? Yeah, so if there's bigger actions, so that's good for little things. That would not be good mm-hmm. for assassinating your enemy. No, that no. Would, you know, that, you know, yeah. If it's going to be bad, that's that's too big. But if it's something big like that, don't let it be a shinobi-only scene. For those, mm-hmm. what you want to do is say that event has to happen in an intrigue or within a right. combat. So the intrigue, the goal of the whole rest of the party might be, um, you know, keep everyone distracted from the shinobi while he's doing his big thing. Um, But the rest of the party should be doing an intrigue scene at the same time as the shinobi is doing their shinobi thing. Which means everybody rolls initiative together. Yeah. Yeah. And... They do their intrigue actions, so the number of turns, you know, everybody gets the same amount of actions, basically. And yeah, yeah. Shinobi only gets one dice roll per action like everyone else. And the, yeah. it, the it, time limit on the intrigue is about how long the Shinobi would take to do their action. Um, okay, yeah, I like, I like that, because then you've got that kind of ticking clock Either either it's a ticking clock on the shinobi who only has this many actions to get the thing done, mm-hmm. or it's a ticking clock on everyone else who've got to get their thing, their intrigue done before the shinobi's thing happens. So that can add some interesting tension within mm-hmm. the within the within the game, which is always a good thing. And then your NPCs working with the other non-shinobi PCs could have. A goal of I'm going to go check on my lord now. You know, I need to mm. get out of this thing. And maybe their goal is basically their goal, maybe not even known to them, is to uh, deal with the PCs so they can leave go, or or yeah, go, go, you know, go chase the PCs the off. So if the yeah. NPCs in the intrigue win the intrigue. The intrigue also stops for the shinobi too. He's out of time. Well, if the full time then is ten rounds, just I mean that's yeah. super long. But let's just say it's ten rounds of intrigue. All right, and your NPCs finish the intrigue in and win in eight rounds. Yeah, now your yeah. shinobi only has eight rounds to have finished what he wants to do. Um, and if the PCs win then maybe the uh, NPCs are so distracted that the shinobi can finish yeah. uh, finish in the full 10 rounds without distraction. Which, which could lead to some interesting things, because very often in a straight-up intrigue, you're actually trying to like strife out someone so they will leave or become compromised. So, mm-hmm. so you're actually deliberately trying to get them to, to storm out of the hall or, or go off and do something else. Uh, which you might end up doing the exact opposite. It was like, we have to desperately not stress this guy out. So he's <laughs> going to stay here. 
so they don't stumble into the next room where we happen to know our shinobi friend is rifling through the cupboards. Mm-hmm. I, can, I think that could lead to all sorts of interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. Of course, if somebody strifes out, if you do strife them out, depending on your opponent, it could be they strife out, but they don't go to the right place. Or, yeah, they're, oh, yeah. they're just going to oh, go yeah. get drunk rather than... <laughs> Yeah, there's. A, I think there's a lot of lots of possibilities. There's lots of ways of integrating shinobi and having their actions combined with other people. I think the main thing is don't uh, unless it, unless it works and unless the the players are willing to be spectators because sometimes that can be fun. Um, don't let them just go off on their own for long periods of time when no one else gets to do anything because I think that can be that that's generally not that much fun. And that, but I think that that's that's a good breakdown of of Shinobi. We will have some deep lore yeah. dive into Shinobi at some other time, but not not today. We um, you will, yeah, not today. <laughs> not today. Uh, I did want to yeah. do some call outs. Maybe I've been mm-hmm. watching Sleuth of the Ming Dynasty, so I was calling out to everyone if if people want to see a fun detective show in ancient China. That's that's a that's a fun one that's on YouTube. Did you have anything you were watching? Um, I'm currently watching a version of the 47 Ronin, but I can't remember where I got it from, so I, I can't. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love. I mean, I'd love that these things were more widely available, but I, I don't know a, a place where people can get it. Um, I on Amazon Prime there is I, I've I think I have talked about this one before. This is not this is a, another law enforcement thing. It's Onihei and it's an anime and it's a straight Edo period cop drama in anime form mm-hmm. and I love it. So you can get on, <laughs> on on Amazon Prime and possibly other places. But that's it for this week. Uh, I'm going to give a call out to our sister podcast, the L5R LCG podcast with Trevor Cuba and Zar Agus and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife. Um, all of our podcasts are funded by the Discord Patreon which supports our editing uh, costs as well as our website where you can store and see longer-term information, summaries of our podcasts, great role-playing game tools, and more. We will have links to everything we've been talking about in our show notes. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. And you can also find us on our website, which is courtgamespod.com. And we are on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. So, but that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korvar, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy. <laughs> <laughs>